Welcome to the Under 8 Podcast, a daily college basketball show brought to you every weekday in under eight minutes at the time of recording. It is Tuesday, January 9th, 11, 15 p.m. My name is Josh Malnix. On today's pod, it was a bad day to be a top two team in the sport. It's all right now on the Under 8 Podcast. Josh Doring is here with me. Pinnacle Bank Arena. Kasei Tominaga Court. The Nebraska Cornhuskers. 88-72 over the number one team in the land. The Purdue Boiler Makers. Uh, four different, different Nebraska players in double figures. Tominaga, of course, leading the way in the scoring department. For Fred Hoiberg's squad, Josh a 16-point win for Nebraska, and Purdue falls on the road in Big Ten play yet again. Can we start away from this game in particular for one second? Whatever you want. I'm here I'm here at your service. Whatever you want. Because I would really like to appreciate the fortuitous series of events that are transpiring at Nebraska here. So you get the Midwest guy who was good enough, however you feel about the job Hoiberg's done so far in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Good enough to get himself an NBA job because of what he did in the Midwest at a school that you're not getting four and five star recruits at typically to go be your head men's basketball coach. You have right, and this is this is a school that has obviously all kinds of history and all kinds of different sports, but really struggled in this new era of, of college athletics we're living in. So you get a big name in Fred Hoiberg, the top. Football recruit happens to be the son of your former player. So you land him Mm -hmm. and the most valuable softball player who, oh, by the way, still has two years of eligibility left, happens to be from Nebraska and happens to want to go home. So you have Jordy Ball now, too, who is one of the biggest names in college athletics. It is just, it's all coming together for the Cornhuskers. I just wanted to point that out before we get into this game. They're 13 and three. They're 13 and three, and we are officially in Nebraska NCAA tournament at-large bid territory with a win over Purdue. Uh, getting into the game specifically, what sticks out to you? First of all, Tommy Naga. Dude. <laughs> he he really, I mean, the, the only comp that you can make from a optics standpoint of what it looks like is Steph Curry. When he gets going, he just launches threes no matter who is there or how far away he is from the basket. It's amazing. And other being than, lucky makes it even sweeter. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The other part of this for me, I, I mean, I don't think either of us are stunned by this. We both said Nebraska can win this game. You enter Casey Tominaga court at your own risk. Mm-hmm. Question was whether they could actually pull off this kind of performance. And I mean, all their guys were fantastic. Tominaga, Hoiberg, CJ Wiltzer couldn't miss for a while there. They got a really, really good performance across the board, which is obviously what they needed in order to beat Purdue by 16. On the Purdue side, it would just be great to see them be able to restore order in games like this. We talk all the time about how they don't deal with pressure very well, but I started thinking in this game, it's it's more than that. It's also that they when things aren't going well, they don't necessarily problem solve at a high level. 
And you, they did have those string of possessions where they finally got the ball to Edie. But it just feels like it's way more complicated than it needs to be sometimes. And that typically a team as good as Purdue when, okay, Nebraska goes on the run to take the lead, right? Feeling really good mm-hmm. at halftime. Purdue comes out, start the second half. Oh, that's what we expect, right back into the game. And then allows Nebraska to go on another run that ultimately decided the game. It just, usually in the, you feel like these teams that are so good are going to be able to come back and restore order, right? You feel that way about Kansas. They're down eight at Fog Allen. Mm-hmm. Somehow, someway, they're going to find a way to outscore you by 10 the rest of the way and escape by two. And you just don't feel that way about Purdue because sometimes they make the comeback. But other times, like the FDU game, you go, there's no way they can lose this. And then they still manage to. And that was that was part of what I was thinking about in this game with, I mean, the turnovers weren't terrible. Edie was not good in the first half. Didn't get enough shots. Mason Gillis was keeping him in the game defensively. I mean, he gave up 88 points. I just, you just want to see more assertiveness, I guess, to just be able to say enough is enough. We're going to win this game. And too often they're just not able to do that. Yeah. If anything, when they're up 10 in a high pressure situation, you think they're going to find a way to only lose by, to only win by two. Right. No, I don't really, I don't really think that, but like I'm way closer to thinking that than thinking the other way around that when they are down by eight with four minutes left, that they're going to find a way to win. There are a couple things. I think the point you make about pressure, pressure is, is really interesting because I think a lot of the times, a lot of the time it's just equated to speeding the backcourt up. Right. And it's like the whole building speeds the backcourt up. It's like, you know, there just there were a couple of possessions in the second half where it just felt like Braden Smith was trying to find the the 11 pointer on the floor to to get it all back in one possession. And there were three or four different shots in the second half that I thought Braden Smith should have taken and he's pump faking instead. And, you know, there were a couple that that turned into better shots. There was one where he was pretty wide open and he pump faked and then got it to Fletcher lawyer who was even more wide open and Fletcher actually knocked down the shot, but it felt like that there was a hesitation from Braden in the season where I've really, uh, I've really uh, highlighted his, the, the context that he has this year and his ability to kind of take over and take more shots when it's necessary. Um, yeah. I think that's really interesting. The other thing is I wish I wish it was harder for teams to come up with ways to stop Zach Eady from getting the ball. Yes. Yeah. It's not that difficult. It's, Hey, rink mass, you stand behind Zach Eady and Casey Tominaga, you stand in front of him and Purdue just can't get them the ball. It seems so elementary. Like Tominaga is on the fly here. Tominaga is is six, two. So he's, he looks smaller than six, two on the court. Can we, can we, can we agree with? Does he look? Yeah, a little that's a generous six two. Okay, okay. Um, but it's just kind of like really like they're just gonna kind of yeah. rotate him in off of some guy who isn't gonna shoot the three, and that's that's gonna stop you from getting the ball to the seven four guy in the middle. Yep. It just seems there are times where I'm like, that is so easy that I could come up with that in a pickup game against a guy that's way taller than everybody else. Why can't we figure out a way to? Yep to get him the like even if it's just you know what throw it as hard as you can at like like six inches above Casey Tominaga's right. like more times than not he's probably not going to come off the ball and you get it's just it seems way more difficult than it needs to be 
Yeah. Or and way simpler who, than it needs to be. I can't, I'm not really yeah. sure which one. Right. And that goes back to the restoring order thing of just, we're going to get the ball to ED every possession. Good luck. Yeah. That is we're gonna put big... we're gonna put three guys on one side of the court. Like right. go put them all. Go put them in the corner. I don't care. Like tell them to stand as like a group of penguins. Like I don't care what you do. Just like even if it's like you're we're taking pictures and laughing at. Oh my gosh, look at this set that Purdue just ran. But if you get Zach E to the ball twelve times in the last eight minutes of a game, you're probably gonna come back. Like he's probably gonna score seven times if you just and and we can like Painter can talk about it all he wants to. It's just the guy's seven four. You can't tell me that we can't find a way to get him the ball. And a, I in a game, to believe it. In a game like this, where Nebraska's players outplayed Purdue's, taking away Edie. Yeah. You need Edie to be the difference to win. Yeah. They weren't good. They they weren't good. Nebraska's players were just better. And, and yeah, the the final thing to your point about that. This is my thing with the guards, and you and I have some. I think you get a little sensitive to think that I'm saying Brainsmith's not good, and that's not what I'm saying. The decision-making part of it, though, the floor general part of it, drives me nuts because of games like this and they, that exact point of sometimes you just need to get the ball to Edie. I wish there was just a little bit more presence, I guess is the word, because he's been great this year. He's been more aggressive, but there are just times you just go, what, what are we doing? And well, the yin and yang thing is is infuriating because, like against Illinois, he'll look like a first team All American guard, right? And right. then he'll lose his mind for four minutes in the second half, and it's like, oh my gosh, is, is Purdue gonna is Purdue gonna lose this game? Like that, those things cross your mind, even when Purdue's looked like the better team for thirty seven of the thirty eight minutes that have been played. Drives me crazy. Um, you probably shouldn't lose a game if you're Purdue when you go thirteen of thirty three from the three point line either. Now, granted. Nebraska was 14 of 23. They made 61% of their threes, but it's not like, you know, you made 13 of your own. So I, um, you know, cause my, my first instinct would be, Oh, you probably shot two of 19 from the three point line. And that just, that just wasn't the case. They just weren't, they weren't good enough at the things that make Purdue dominant on most nights. Yeah. It wasn't usually it's a very simple breakdown of why Purdue loses this game they just weren't good enough it was a very un-Purdue like performance yeah crazy y'all to think they were going to walk into Casey Tominaga court at <laughs> Pinnacle Bank Arena and walk out with a win that's crazy y'all um bad bad night to be a top two team bad night to be a top two team Houston in Ames Hilton Coliseum 57-53 they lose to the Iowa State Cyclones TJ Altsberger doing the dang thing um I, we talked about this last night a little bit. If Houston had a big dud type offensive night somewhere in inside of them, this this was possibly a night that we were going to see it. Uh, Houston, 19 of 50 from the field, 7 of 26 from the three-point line, uh, 8 of 12 from the stripe. And they lose a game in which Iowa State was 38% from the field, 3 of 15, from the three-point line. So it's not like Iowa State shot well either. This is exactly the type of score I was kind of hinting at when we talked about it last night. But um, Iowa State wins yet another game against the top 25 team in in ugly sub-60, no offense whatsoever, but they somehow find a way to win fashion. Yep. Real quick, just a couple of things, and I want to get your thoughts on them. 
players not named Emmanuel Sharp and Jamal Shedd scored 19 points for Houston. Mm-hmm. It's not like they didn't have anybody show up. They just had two guys carry everything. Mm-hmm. I, and specifically, that's LJ Cryer. <laughs> because that's how you solve this problem. And we were kind of joking about that yesterday. Is LJ Cryer is the reason why this won't happen. Well, mm-hmm. LJ Cryer did not have a good game. And guess what? It happened. Yeah. The other thing. I mean, ultimately, the points off turnovers were the difference in this game. They were also the reason why Houston fell down 14 nothing. Mm-hmm. which is the reason they lost because they're not built to play. Now they did come back and easily could have won this game. It's, But then you have to go on the next run because you had to have the run to even get back in the game and then the next run to tie it. And then you got to have it for a team that doesn't score. It is very difficult to come back from 14, nothing. If you show up for 40 minutes, they probably win this game, which gets to my big point here, which is, Number one, let's not overreact to this. Kansas loses this game every other year at least. Sure. Welcome to the Big 12. Welcome to the Big 12. Exactly. They didn't play poorly. They just didn't play well enough to win in a really hostile arena against a good team. Yeah. That's elite defensively and was able to expose their flaws. I. So my big question here is, because we were texting and you said, we found out everything we need to know about these two teams and what exactly is we expected. The one thing I'm not sure about yet because I'm not going to overreact to this, I don't know if Houston or Kansas is the better team. That's the That's one fair. thing. That's fair. Um, I, I'm more, the, the text I sent you was more of a, yeah, you know what? Houston's probably going to score 53 points in an NCAA tournament game, and we'll see if they win or lose it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Iowa State can beat anybody on, in, on, on any given night, but they'll probably score like 55 in an NCAA tournament yep. game, and we'll see if they win it. And have an ugly uh, loss, yep. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, they lost by 18 in a game in the round of 64 last year in a game that they only gave up 59 points. That's impressive. Well, it might have been the worst offensive performance I've ever seen, yeah. So that's more what I meant yep. about right. that. Oh. that Houston and Houston specifically, but Iowa yep. State to a certain extent under TJ Altsberger, uh, a lot are fall in the category of programs that were. I'm I'm looking to answer one question every year, and that's, are they super susceptible to? And we knew that Iowa State was. They this isn't the the first, This is a better offense than last year's team for several reasons, but still not, still not awesome. Um, and you know, in all of their losses, they've failed to eclipse 70 points and failed to eclipse 64 in two of them. So we knew this about Iowa State. Houston is more of the like, okay, this is probably going to be a thing again. At some point, they're not going to be able to hit the broadside of a barn. Is that in the round of 32? Is that in the Sweet 16? And like Houston seems to do every year, they're just going to run into a team that's too talented for them to get away with the things that they usually get away with. And saying they don't play good enough teams, so getting to the Big 12 is going to help them is lazy analysis. They play plenty of teams. They are ready to go for the NCAA tournament every year. They do what they're supposed to every Mm -hmm. year. And it's the same story every year because they're not built to win six games for this very reason. Nothing about going to the Big 12 changes this. To, to, To make that case is disrespectful to what Calvin Sampson has done and where this program is. The only thing that changes is where they get their quality games right yes, i mean right, like right. you can tell, completely you can different tell in non-conference like Kelvin yes. sam's like we don't have to schedule nearly as hard as we usually do we're going to play in the big 12 you can tell big 12. That, yeah that big that 12 happens. commissioner was on the broadcast tonight 
And he said, yeah, Kelvin Sampson goes, yeah, pretty much it's just point eighteen NCAA tournament games. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean, as of right this second, uh, you know, Oklahoma State is a sub-100 Kim Hump team. UCF, UCF isn't great. Other than that, it's like all top 55 Kempom teams. And most of them are top 37. Big time schedule. Big time schedule. Last but not least, quickly, real quick, 81-72, Baylor over BYU. Josh, for a little while, I thought I was going to come in here and have to put a sock in my mouth after talking about there was no way that BYU was going to win this game. It was close. Ultimately, Baylor gets enough from their starting lineup, a little Langston Love. Love off the bench, Jalen Bridges, 25 points on 7 of 14 shooting. He was excellent. And that trio of guards in Jaden Nunn, Jacoby Walter, and Ray J. Dennis combined for, what's that, 37 points on top of it. And that was enough to, to beat BYU tonight. Yeah. Uh, not a great first half from Baylor. A, a very all. good second half where mm-hmm. they really started to impose their will on the game, got to the free throw line, knocked down some threes. And yeah, it, it was somewhat up in the air. Then Mark Pope gets the technical foul after they don't get the tie up and that it really kind of unraveled from there. Ultimately uh, pretty impressive from BYU. Mm-hmm. Don't have any sweeping conclusions here. This is a game you're supposed to lose. The problem is <laughs> after you lose at home, this is the next game on your schedule in the Big 12. Again, welcome to the Big 12. So you got to find ways to win somewhere. And, you know, Baylor only had three assists, four turnovers in the first half. The ball movement still bothers me, but they're so gifted individually. Offensively, you saw that in this game. Defensively, they really tightened things up in the second half. If I'm Scott Drew, I am upset that we gave up 39 points to BYU when they shot four or 13 from three mm-hmm. in that first half. But they sure. fixed in the second half. Yeah, Baylor was the better basketball team over 40 minutes, but it was very competitive for 35, 36, 37 of those. Try this on for size. Baylor's this year's Miami. Last year's Miami. This year's Miami of last year. Miami might be Miami of last year, to be honest with you. But from a a when it's all... like If you told me that Baylor was going to go to the Final Four because they just didn't miss for, for two weeks at the beginning of the NCAA tournament, I would not be surprised at all. I'm with you generally. My hesitation is I'm not sure their ceiling is as high as Miami's. I don't know, man. They shoot 45% from the three-point line as a team. If they do that for two weeks. yeah, They don't take that many of them, though. I don't care. I don't care. Maybe. I'm open to the possibility. I'm not quite there yet, though. Okay. That's fair. I can't believe you're taking Miami over Baylor right now. You're like the Scott Drew. You're like the president of the Scott Drew fan club. When they play defense, when they have a point guard, I trust. Yeah, but Miami doesn't play defense either. So why you? What you? Well, because I, because I, I still feel like Miami has more offensive firepower. Yeah, you're probably right. Not according to Kempom. Not according to Kempom. Yeah, that's fine. If you're asking me which team is going to Kempom right there, that was shade at Kempom right there. That was hun- that sometimes was totally I have Kenpom sometimes right I have questions about Ken Palm. Right. As much as I respect the word Ken Palm does. If 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 I'm taking one team that's just gonna go berserk offensively, I'm still picking Miami. That's fair. I, I do think that 
I do think that Baylor has because I like Miami kind of did that thing last year where they won a bunch of games. No one ever took them super seriously. And then they got to the tournament and they just made everything. I I don't think very many people are taking Baylor super seriously right now. Yeah. But they can score the basketball. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I, I'm definitely with you that that's where this is heading. I'm just not sure they can actually pull it off. That's the Fair kind enough. of team they're going to be, though, in March, for sure. Fair enough. You got anything else? The under eight podcast in 20 minutes, by the way. There you go. Good win for Boise State. Very much so. Mountain West. Showed Mountain West a little bit love. And then, you know, South Carolina was hanging in there in my kind of under-the-radar game of the night. And then yeah. South Carolina was not hanging in there anymore. <laughs> Yikes. Go check mm. that second half score of the Alabama South Carolina game if you haven't seen it. Mm. That's I mean, why you gotta put them on blast like that? Um, I got a couple things. Um Kentucky beats Missouri at home. Uh the other one I think is a nice bounce back win is is Texas winning at Cincinnati. I think that's a that's a solid win for Rodney Terry and that and that team. Um, kind of after the entire country put them on blast after they were still ranked in yesterday's AP poll. So that's a good one for them. I don't think I have a ton else. Good Tuesday of college hoops, though. Good Tuesday of college hoops. Anything else? Anything else? Lots of fun. Nope. Lots of fun for sure. That's going to do it for this edition of the Under 8 Podcast. Tuesday. January 9th. It's now 11.37 p.m. past my bedtime. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your shows. Follow the Under 8 Pod on Twitter. Subscribe on YouTube. Hit that button. It takes just a couple seconds. Maybe the like button if you're feeling super generous. We'd very much appreciate it. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. We will see you tomorrow.